Aloha, I'm Marcia Sortino. Welcome to Pay Radio, talk radio worth listening to. To all our regular listeners, thank you for coming back. To all our new listeners, congratulations. You just discovered one of the most powerful talk radio shows there is. As we get ready for this class, I suggest you find something to take notes with. Every show is packed with all sorts of inspiring, insightful ideas, ahas, and breakthroughs. While you find some paper and a pen, I wonder, how many people do you know are paid to learn, then paid to teach what they learn? I'll put that another way. I'm both a student and a teacher of Pay Me What I'm Worth. By the time I complete my class as a student, the money I'm paid to teach Pay Me What I'm Worth will cover what I paid Seoul University, and then some. At the end of our class, I'll tell you how to become a paid student and teacher for this life-changing journey. It's time to meet my class. We decided to be collectively known as Team Seekers. Here they are. Cal Davis, Lewiston, Maine. Hey, everybody. Green Mays, and I am from Latrobe, Pennsylvania. This is David H. Paul from St. Cloud, Minnesota. Hello, Chris Peters, and I'm from Brandon, Manitoba, Canada. Rick and I live in Hawaii. Aloha. Aloha. This is Cheryl from Hawaii. Hello, everybody. This is Agnes Talley in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're the home of the dogwood tree with its beautiful white flowers in the spring of the year. And finally, Aloha, Soul here, author of Pay Me What I'm Worth and Marsha's co-pilot on this journey. I hope we've given you enough time to grab a pad of paper and a pen to take notes. Our class starts now. The last thing I want to train you to do, the last thing I want Marsha to put up with, is for someone to sign up to your program and go, what the hell have I gotten myself into? <laughs> so, honestly, even if they do their due diligence, they're going to say that. Even. <laughs> True. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's dive in. We're going to sort out what we're doing in Chapter 4. When are you worth it? I encourage you to get a notepad. Something to write with because you're going to be doing some pretty good note-taking tonight. So grab something to write with. Once you have that available, I would like you to write the numbers 1 through 8, like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Write them down. Line 1 is number 1. Line 2 is number 2. Line 3 is number 3. 1 through 8. Please make a list of 1 through 8. Once you have your list of one through eight, as if you were clicking the tab key and you were tabbing over a few spaces, next to the number one, write the number nine. Next to the number two, write the number 10. Do that all the way through 17. So one aligns with 9, 2 aligns with 10, and so on. Why are we doing this? All right, hop over to page 65, 
of Pay Me What I'm Worth, we start out with step one. This first week is very much like, I'm going to use the cookbook analogy again. Who's used a cookbook recently? Anybody? I went online all the time, if that counts. (laughs) All right, Cheryl, when you read a cookbook, what's the normal layout of your typical entry? First, you have all of your ingredients, everything. Then it'll go down to the instructions on how to put it all together. Exactly. It would be unlikely that you would go through all of the recipes and get all of the ingredients for every recipe in the book, right? (laughs) Right. I don't even get them all for one recipe usually. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) With that thought in mind, I'm going to ask you to consider a couple of different ways of approaching your timeline. Steps one through eight are like the ingredients of a recipe. I'm walking you through how to amass all the different materials that you're going to need for your timeline. The first eight steps is like buying all your ingredients, right? Sounds good to me. Once we get to step nine, it's like starting the actual process of making that recipe. In step one, I ask you to locate your financial records. In step nine, I ask you to chart out your financial records. If you want to locate your financial records, chart out your financial information first, that's fine. If you would rather go through steps one through eight first, find all your materials first, continue on with steps nine through 17 after you have all of your resources together, that's fine too. Marcia, when you were doing step one, I decided that the first thing I'm going to do is just make a timeline. And then above the timeline, I put layers, financial. Above financial was, I think it was relationships. I just went according to the book. I did it kind of in layers so I could see the time, what was happening financially. And above that, if there were significant things with relationships going on. And above that, if there were significant things that happened during the weather or in my life at any point. And then I just added layers is what I did. As you were guesstimating, did you discover your perfectionist or your critic was popping into play? Oh, yes. I wanted so badly to remember exactly how much. I, I didn't need to know that because I don't even know how much I exactly was spending even during that time. Everything that I had to do with estimating what my financial state was an estimate because it was so long ago for me. So my point for step one, for all of the steps, your gut estimates are fine. Cheryl, in your blog post, you had mentioned that this first step threw you for a loop. Did you care to elaborate a little bit more? The old analyzer came out. The chaos committee came out. Everybody came out. I thought it's a good thing that we built our self-worth up in chapters one through three because you get to four and you start thinking about those things. You look at the years, you think, what did I do? What have I been doing? My life isn't as much as I thought it was. <laughs> Got to really beat that analyzer back. Realize life is life. Whatever it was, it was, and you got to go on. When I hear terminology like beat the analyzer back, I immediately shift to a struggle which then drains energy. Yeah? 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. May I offer a different perspective? Please do. Flood your analyzer with wonder. When the analyzer, how come this? How come that? That's a good question. Let's look into it. Boy, I don't know. And just let it go. Flood it with wonder. Overwhelm it. Make it like a two-year-old getting frustrated. Why? Why? (laughs) (laughs) Eventually, the analyzer just goes, oh, crap, I give up. (laughs) (laughs) As we get into this first step, one of the things that a number of groups have shared with me on their timeline that they found equally important, very validating, is they guesstimated a value to their volunteer work. Chart out your volunteer work value. Put that in a different line. I mean, Marcia, my gosh, if you were to be paid at least minimum wage for all the work that you've done on your volunteer work, phew. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. I guess the volunteer work showed me a lot about how I would be conducting a real business. Honestly, it shows you so much. People don't realize how much when you do volunteer work, you're seeing all the inside workings of uh, business planning if you were to make it for profit. I'm going to stretch the concept of volunteering to any activity you have done for the betterment of anybody else. Meaning, if you've made a quilt, if you've cooked a meal, if you've scraped and painted a house, if you've shoveled a walk, if you've raked some leaves, anything that you've done voluntarily for someone else at any time, there's value to that, yeah? This is where our worth decay is going to start getting cleaned up because here in our timeline on our first step, it's very easy to go, oh, God, I really didn't make much money that year. You may not have made much money that year, but at the same time, you may have been caring for your ailing father. If you were a nursing assistant, I mean, if you were even any type of professional taking care of another individual in their home, they would be being paid at least minimum wage, if not more, right? Yes. Where am I going with that thought? Anybody? That just because you're not being paid for it, you're still worth it. Yep. Because I know a lot of people have put in a lot of time. I know I have. I wasn't getting paid for it physically with papers, but it built my self-worth up, did a lot more for me, people that I was involved with, too. Mm-hmm. Bingo. Other thoughts? The experiences through all that. Those are experiences that are so... You never know what kind of an experience you're going to have when you're doing things like that. The people that you can touch in your life. Some of these people, you might not even realize that they've been so blessed by your coming into their life. So, for example, I've had people tell me that they've volunteered certain time skills to organizations, that they were being taught during that volunteer time other skills. They've gone out and they've Googled classes that if they actually had to go to a community college or a university or if they had to 
pay to learn what they learned while they were volunteering. Maybe they learned accounting. Maybe they learned a, a skill or a trade. They researched if they actually had to go pay to get that training, how much would they have paid? Follow? Yeah. They tracked that. They began to realize that, yes, they may have had two years of zero dollars to report to the Internal Revenue Service. During that time, they volunteered. They took care of their mom. They took care of their dad. They took care of someone. They were doing things. They realized that for all practical purposes, they saved themselves tens of thousands of dollars. Why am I suggesting you flip the way you look at volunteering? I know for myself that through volunteer work, I have learned many skills that I would have never learned had it not been for volunteering. Exactly. This is part of the essence of pay me what I'm worth, is understanding that experience also has value, right? Yes. When I was younger, I volunteered for my professor, for my academic advisor. He taught me a lot about computer stuff, but a lot of getting that experience helped me to put that on my resume and further my careers. Definitely that time spent volunteering and that time spent learning stuff you know, I wasn't getting paid for it. It was really helpful. Excellent example. I'll tease out something else about that example, Kareem, when we get to step three. I'm going to jump back to step two. Let's get into step two. I'm going to pick on David. David, do you mind if I pick on you? Yeah, you can pick on me. I'm up for it. Let me preface step two with this insane scenario. David, I've just learned through my doctor that I have a terminal illness. I have approximately three months to live. However, my doctor, through his grand research, has determined that David H. Paul, if we were to extract something from you, I would be cured. I have $100 million. That is my entire sum of my world's financial worth. I'm going to offer you this $100 million. Your doctor looks over this arrangement, and your doctor warns you that if they go through with this procedure, it would be most likely you would be dead in at least five years. Would you take my offer? How much money is your health worth to you? If I offered you $100 million to buy your health. Buy my you, health. I'm going to pay you $100 million in cash. Put no way. I would never take that deal. Why? Absolutely. Why? Because my health is the key to what's important to me, which is experiencing as much of the joy of life as possible. I sell my soul for $100 million. I'm not feeling very good about myself, no matter how much money I have. No money in the world could take away the feeling I would have of, Wow, it's like selling your soul to the devil. That's right. So what do you think my point of step two is? Your health doesn't have a price. Mm-hmm. Or the most valuable thing I have is my health, because without it, I have no quality of life. Mm-hmm. Keep yeah, going. If I'm going to step up to the plate here, it would be really wise for me to go back and look at how have I in my timeline, how have I attempted improve that quality of health, boy, it sure is going to point me in the right direction. 
for this coming year, following years as well, in terms of where am I going to invest my time and my money? I'm going to invest it in my health. I'm going to invest it in my own well-being first. There's something else more insidious in step two. Anybody got an idea of the more creepy part of step two? Go spend time doing what you love while you're healthy. Don't spend it acquiring money because one day you won't have your health. Warmer. Getting warmer. There's something else that actually step two is going to point out to you that you've already done. What is it? How have I, how has anyone who has worked an extra shift, who has volunteered their time to a company because they're salaried, and instead of being paid for 40 hours, they've given their company 80 hours out of fear of losing their job, how have they sold their health? Stress is the one of the biggest killers that we have. Cortisol, that your little amygdala is pumping into your body. i got to apply that to me. My health, my well-being is directly related to that stress hormone that my amygdala pumps out kind of on autopilot. <laughs> I'm becoming aware of it. But when I go back and look in history, I can tell when I've sold out or sold piece of my health to whatever it is, including an employer, like by doing overtime because I'm afraid of losing my job. Oh, it's a fight or flight mechanism. Oh. Which feeds into step three. For every hour that I worked extra that I did not have the time to spend with my family, my friends, my people that I hold near and dear because I considered my paycheck to be more important than my relationships with them. When I do get sick, because I am working too much and getting way too stressed out about it, then I need the help of my friends. Where am I going with step three? Family's more important than anything else in the world. Mm-hmm. I think the relationships you build with people, no matter if they're sexual, platonic, family, or friendship, are one of the ways you increase self-worth and how others see you as worth worthy. How I feel is the more people I connect with and help make a difference, then when it comes time for me to begin my class when I get certified, I feel it'll be a lot easier for people to believe in me because the social proof will be there. I'll be radiating that energy and attracting those people that know, oh, well, this guy is for real. That's what I think what you're getting at with step three. I'm reading here like there's a lot of things in here that say, well, how did these relationships make you feel on both a positive and a negative aspect? How did they increase or decrease your self-worth? This is going to be interesting to do this. Thank you, Chris. Good observations there. Nine out of ten, one of the more profound things that most people get out of these first three steps is they step back and they look at their timelines. They step back and they say, yeah, I was making a boatload of money during this period of my life. I also had this ailment and this ailment and this ailment, and I lost this friendship, but I lost this friendship. So something had to change they started making maybe better decisions about how they're going to use their time so they could take better care of their health. And that health involves relationships. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. So 
I'm looking at my own timeline right now. I see the year that my ex-wife and I, when we made the most money that year, the most miserable year of my life. <laughs> Here's the sad thing. This is the part that just rips my heart out. My kids paid the price. Oh, yes. My kids paid the price. I mean, they come take a look at the timeline. They're going to be able to explain that. They're going to be able to have their spot on the timeline and tell me about that. Mm-hmm. We're going to do some healing on that. I sort of am in a different situation because when it was time for me to go home at 3 o'clock, there's a dying baby on the table. I can think of my family first, so I can think of the person's family that we're trying to save. When my supervisor comes in and asks me, hey, can anyone stay after work? Because we have people that are sick, that are dying. Some people go home to their families. Some people stay and take care of the sick. I stayed and take care of the sick. Now, my family didn't suffer because of it. Not at all. They understood. I had to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I would just get home to work. I would get a call. Oh, got to go back to work. My family wasn't suffering, neither was I. It was my choice to help these people. It was, I felt, a responsibility. I'm trying to understand, like, what family are you talking about? There's a lot of people that need help out there. We were fine. We knew he would be home with us after he took care of everybody that was urgent care that needed taken care of. We were willing to share him. What your family experienced is not of the norm based on what I've experienced. Too many people are regretting the fact that they put more time in at the office and now they don't know their kids and their kids don't know them. Well, I delivered my kids. I spent a lot of time with them when they were babies uh and fed them, nurtured them. As they got older, I started to get more of a priority. I spent a lot of time with my son also and got close to him. Excellent. Worked out really well, actually. Yay! Uh, Yay! Good thoughts. I started doing programs like this and other stuff. When I am in the situation where I have family, I don't have to say, oh, hey, we got to call a babysitter, put them off the daycare. And I can have the income and the resources that I spend time and do quality things. Mm-hmm. Okay, good plan. Step four, to some degree, verifies step one. Anybody want to take a shot as to why I say that? I have an idea of why you say that. I did get a diploma for myself. I did have a few certificates when I was working. I wish I could say that the diploma worked out for me (laughs) in the financial gain of everything with that diploma. I look at it and I say, oh, that was actually a step back for me going to college, getting a degree. Now I have a school loan. I don't use that diploma for any kind of anything. I should have just invested strictly with a self-development program such as this, but I didn't know about this until Christina came to me. If I had known back then what I know now, this would be my choice to Mm. go this direction and not put all that money into focusing on a college degree. Okay, good example. Who recalls what we did in Chapter 1? 
What did we do in chapter one? Material acquisitions as well as spiritual, other accomplishments, awards, things like that. Yeah. Yes, sir. And it took money to get that stuff, didn't it? Absolutely. It took money to go to school, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So do you see how step four does a double blind verification of step one? Do you okay. see how you begin to chart out when major stuff in your life, I mean physical stuff, started showing up in your life based on the money you were earning, maybe inheritances that you've got, how that may have parlayed into your physical world, right? Where did it align? Where was it off? Any idea as to the significance of things being not in alignment between step one and step four? We'll get into that as we go through this worth timeline. I'm just planting seeds. But as you're doing this timeline, it can feel very daunting, hopefully creating that aroma like bread baking or sauteing onions in butter. I mean, you're drawn to doing this timeline. There's a curiosity. There's a, hmm, I wonder out there. So that when it's 1.30 in the morning and you're staring at this damn exercise, like, oh, crap, I've got four more steps to go. (laughs) (laughs) So in step four, again, you're going to see the interest on your money, for lack of better words. You're going to see that all the work you did in chapter one is now going to get parlayed into step four in chapter four. Same thing with step five. Step five asks you to review your worth passport for chapter two. What did we focus on in chapter two? Skills. Assembling our skills, taking a look at what our skills are, discovering that we have many more hidden talents that you were helping us to find. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Anybody want to venture how gaining your skills Polishing your skills or ignoring your skills impacts your physical and emotional health that we looked at in step two. I would take for granted my skills that limits the abilities, the avenues I have to take, not only furthering my own worth, furthering my worth around others as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Maybe there's a good time here for a story. Anybody has a story around a time where you were really learning to do something? Maybe it was playing the piano. Maybe it was learning how to drive. Maybe it was learning how to use a computer. It was a skill you know you really wanted and needed. It also pushed you well past your physical comfort zone. A lot of times, people that I know who are into physical fitness training, how's that old saying go? No pain, no gain. If you want to rip six-pack abs, You've got some sit-ups to do, right? (laughs) (laughs) Who has a story around a time where they were developing a skill? It did impact your health. When I was first learning to play guitar, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this. This really didn't impact my health terribly. I got calluses, yes. And I couldn't (laughs) hold down any cord, so I had to keep holding it till it... It didn't make my fingers bleed. I didn't go that far. I don't know how people accomplish that. I had to hold down the strings until I could really hold down the full cord and play it. To do that, I had to get these white, hard, brittle, not really good feeling pieces of skin, which uh-huh. what it is is that skin on your fingers, to actually hold the cords down. 
it wasn't something I went to the doctor for and I said, oh, my God, I have calluses. What do I do? It wasn't a good feeling to feel the top of your fingertips. And I don't get them anymore. Still, I feel that's a necessary experience that I develop some muscle memory to get guitar. Perfect example. Thank you, Kareem. My goal with step five is to dovetail with step two, such that we begin to look at, as you start throwing this together on your timeline, you begin to see some very interesting relationships. We'll dive more deeply into this as we go along. Let's jump into step six. Really is where the rubber meets the road when it comes to a sense of worth. When you started earning money, when you started having a sense of value, in step six, we begin to look at that burgeoning of an ego. At this stage, when you start charting this stuff out, when we start looking at forecasting, it starts helping our rewiring process. It starts helping our dreaming process as well. Step seven and eight are just more perfunctory things, just some helpful tips that please don't make the same mistake I made the first time I did my timeline. After I made my timeline, I had to repaint my wall. (laughs) Oops. I had no idea my markers were bleeding through the paper. When I took my timeline down, my wall had quite an cryptic-looking graffiti on it. (laughs) Step eight is really important as well, taking a break. Marsha, as you were doing your timeline, just the other day you were saying you're continuing to add things to your timeline, yeah? Yes. What are you noticing when you take a little time Maybe it's five minutes here, ten minutes there. You just stare at your timeline. What are you noticing? I'm noticing patterns about myself. (laughs) Things that I never saw about myself before, as well as things that I'm really starting to see that are all about me. I have the time to reflect on things. As I look at my timeline, I say, wow. I remember that, and I remember saying this to that person, and I don't know where that came from, but it did come from me. That person I know today is a better person because of it. Or I'm looking at my pattern saying, wow, I really wasn't making any money. Look at all the things that were happening during that time. Or look at my health at this time. Jeez, look at what was happening then. I knew, like you can establish a good focus of who I am, but just by looking at everything about my life. So weird, because now I could sit down and go, okay, now I'm going to really start making some contracts with myself to change things, get on the right path, every part of my life, because I can now. As you're uncovering your themes, Marsha, that last step, step 17, that one's kind of a kicker, I have to admit before we get into forecasting our future. But I would encourage you to take a look at page 74, step 17. Just read it. Plan it in your subconscious. As you're doing your timeline, you have a little bit of a framework in which to view your timeline. I came up with step 17, much like the way I was taught to read a typical university or college textbook. One of the tricks that I was taught with textbooks is to take the table of contents, turn it into a test. Meaning, 
Each chapter, each subchapter, each subtitle turned the title into a question. So that after I got done reading the chapter, after I got done reading each subsection or sub, whatever it was in the table of contents, I would ask myself that question. Then I would answer it, which would then summarize either the chapter or the section. Follow? So by the time I'm done reading the book, by the time I'm done reading the chapter, I had a very concise set of notes that would help me study in a much wiser way. I was taught that in one of the first classes that I took getting my undergraduate degree in human relationships. So step 17, by reading it and just planting these questions in your head, there's no need to answer them up front. It's highly likely that as you read through these and plant them in your head, that as you're doing this timeline, all of a sudden, one of those questions is going to come screaming out at you and go, oh, yeah. And when that happens, just somehow document it, whether that's recording it into a recorder, writing it on a journal, do something to capture your aha. All right, ladies and gentlemen, (sighs) we've covered a lot of ground tonight. How are you feeling about all of this? Who wants to just give a feedback about how they're doing with this rather daunting (laughs) chapter? You know what? This isn't daunting for me at all. This is exactly what I need to do. I haven't found any of this to be daunting or strenuous or... This is my purpose, to be a life coach, to share this brilliance with other people, to bring people to this class and to our class and to meet people like Rick and Cheryl and yourself and everybody that's here. I want to lead people to happiness, abundance, blissfulness, love. We all need that to be prosperous beings. It's my goal to reach divinity. I know through doing this and doing it and really pushing myself and doing it over and over and over again and teaching it and learning and teaching and learning, that's where I'm going to get. And that's what I want. Divinity. That's exactly what I want. Well, now you've done it, Chris. Now you've blown it. You found out what really pay me what I'm worth is about. <laughs> Call me a smart Yeah, guy. just you gave away the store, man. Marsha figured this out a little while back. She says, Soul, you're an insidious little monk, aren't you? <laughs> Has anybody else noticed there's an extraordinary amount of spiritual awakening work you're doing behind the scenes? Oh, so for me, it's just been like, woo-hoo! <laughs> yes. For me, this getting going on the timeline, I have my timeline up on an eight-foot wall. <laughs> Good! In my apartment, my daughter and I put it up. I thought to myself, where do you want to start, David? But I want to start at the DNA. Well, I thought about six generations back from where I was born. And I thought about what things influenced me six generations, what things are still influencing my DNA now six generations back. And, of course, I don't think there's a person on the call who's in their genealogy, somebody wasn't deeply affected by what was termed the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. Not one. And... There are others who are on the call or whom we're going to come in contact with who have somewhere in their history have somebody who was a millionaire or even a billionaire. 
and that's an impactful thing on DNA. It's an impactful thing on autopilot stuff that's going on in me, for sure, that there are those things in my history. So I'm going back and talking to my dad, and I'm talking to my uncles, and I'm talking to the older relatives who have the story, looking back into the genealogy books, those kinds of things even. Because I really want to get those things on paper because I want to look at the beliefs behind it all. So I'm like, oh, I could do that. What's coming up for me is I'm seeing the tapestry of my own life. Bingo. For me. To see those patterns means, oh, now that I can see it, I can change it. Because I cannot change what I do not acknowledge. We have to start there. <laughs> Now that I can see it, I can be empowered. Now I'm empowered to be able to be the more I want to be. You're shrinking that unknown pain in the Yohari window. Remember that tool we used in our skills inventory? Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, yes. I encourage you that if you're so brave enough to do this, Show people this timeline. Show family this timeline. Show the very people that you're putting on your timeline your timeline. See what other bits of information they're willing to add to it. (laughs) That is perfect. That's perfect. Sounds awesome. I've done this for parties in a very modified form. And I'll have a 10 by 12 foot sheet of paper on a wall someplace. The very first person that comes in the door, I'll write their name in the center of the paper, draw a circle around it. The next person who walks in the door, I'll say, how do you know this person? And who knows this person? I'll start mapping out relationships. By the end of the party, we have this dynamic mind explosion on the wall of how people were interconnected with people that they didn't even know. (laughs) We're a kinetic group, aren't we, as a species? We like touching things, don't we? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Part of this timeline methodology is to have you vomit your head out onto paper. (laughs) When we can see limitations, we can see toxic emotions Toxic habits that we can go, oh, wait a minute, now I know what the hell it is. Where have you been hiding all these years? Bingo. All that stuff that hides in your subconscious mind, you got to bring it forth into the conscious mind to change it because it can stay buried back there and go, ha ha, you can't find me. That's what the habits do. That's what negative beliefs do. They ingrain themselves. And before you know it, you can't even find them anymore to change anything unless you know how to do it. All right. Once again... Any idea why I ask you to go out and hug your explorer today? Because you can see the improvement from what you once were to who you are now. That's probably one of the most important things you can do. Mm-hmm. That's part of it. My explorer is kind of like a newborn baby, or at least that's my perception. That I've got to nurture this, this new experience. Since what's dominant for me is egoic autopilot thinking. Since doing all this exploring into the past, that can bring up a lot of stuff. It can sometimes be a painful experience. So it's important for me to keep that explorer close and say, we're going to do this. We're going to get her done. I've got you. I'm here for you. 
yeah, those autopilot, that stuff can come up. We're just going to roll through those experiences together. I'm not alone. David, what would your analyzer do with the potential pain that comes up in this journey? Oh, just reenact the past over and over and over again. It's kind of like hit that button. Boom, boom. It's like, yeah, guarantee that I would experience some situations where I'd be reacting to my kids or reacting to my friends or reacting to my loved ones in ways that they would be going, aren't you over that? <laughs> what's, what's your deal? <laughs> hey, so it's important to keep the explore close. And it's also important to acknowledge the feelings that come up and say, we're not alone. We're not alone in this. We've got a team behind us. I can talk about those things with other people. But boy, I'll tell you what, this is an opportunity to shine a light in darkness. Darkness mean I never even knew was there. Exactly. Miss Marsha, you are continuing to work on your timeline. Pearls of wisdom for our explorers. I give my explorer a hug every day because she deserves it. (laughs) 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 She deserves it and she wants one. So I give it to her. I give her permission to explore if that ego, if that moment comes when I'm looking at the timeline and the analyzer wants to start asking questions. Hey, ask the question, but you know what? If I can't find the answer, then I let it go. It's okay. It's okay. I don't need the answer for everything because that was my past anyways. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Cheryl, Miss Cheryl, are you listening? Miss Cheryl, hello. No, I'm not listening. <laughs> Before we conclude our journey, I want to give a shout out to two people. One, Marcia Sortino for diving into the Play It Big program. Thank you again, Marcia, for being the first to do that. Thank you. Second, to Cheryl. Cheryl, you had a huge event happen this weekend. Do you want to share with the group what that was? Oh, yes. I was so excited. Because of this program, it gave me the self-worth to start my own Etsy store online. I've been working on stocking it getting it out there, that he made my first sale. The best part is I felt I was paid what I was worth for that sale. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you. Rick, what's Cheryl been like since that first unsolicited sale landed in her email box? She has a more positive attitude, better outlook. Amy, what I'm worth the shove drove the edge. I've been trying to get her to, to make an Etsy store for two damn years. But you can't have all the credit. <laughs> the one that pushed her into it and made her do it, lad. No. It's because she had enough. Like, she's been making stuff forever. Okay? And I'm going to tell you, you should sell this. She's like, oh, no, it's not good enough. I'm like, shit, look at the other stuff that people are getting twice as much money as yours. I mean, it's just so obvious to me, but if you don't have the self-esteem, or the self-worth or whatever she said, you won't do it. I've been with her 27 years. I didn't really realize she didn't have the self-worth, okay? Mm. I didn't realize it so. I mean, I always thought that, okay, if you're not doing stuff, you're just lazy, that's what I figure, or you're not motivated, or something like that. I mean, I was trained in the Army. 
<laughs> Go do it, fail. So I didn't understand it. I always encouraged her, but we never got into anything like this that helped her as much as this program has. So thank you. Uh, my pleasure. I'm mindful of the fact that I got lucky and Marcia got lucky because, Cheryl, you got into that frame of mind to do it, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that one exercise that we had started talking to the people. I figured, gosh, they can do it. And then I started looking around, like Rick said, looking around and what else was out there. And I realized my stuff, to me anyways, did look just as good or better than a lot of it. She analyzed it. (laughs) Explored a lot on comparing different stuff I realized that I had been knocking myself down way more than I needed to. Mine was just as good as Mm -hmm. a lot of them out there. So I took that step forward. I'm glad I did. It's really exciting to have somebody I didn't even know want something of mine. Bingo. (laughs) Bingo. Cheryl, one of the ways that all of the teams dealing with their journey on Pay Me What I'm Worth can support your store I can't guarantee a flood of business, but I hope that on the study group area, in the classifieds section, that you make a post in one of the areas with your Etsy URL so that we can support you there as well. Oh, well, thank you. Yes, I'll have to remember that. I have to thank everybody that has already been supporting me. A lot of people shared my post on Facebook and everything. Thank you. Beautiful. Much appreciated. Imagine a bald-headed man bowing before you with a big smile on his face saying thank you again for all your hard work. Time to close this class. What did you get out of this show? We truly want to know. Simply post in the comment box at the bottom of this page. After hearing so many people experience so many ahas, I wonder, are you ready to take this class yourself? We start new classes each time we have 12 or more people ready to go. You're listening to Marcia Sortino, Team Seekers, Team Captain. Get in touch to learn how to become one of Pay Me What I'm Worth's paid instructors today. And remember, before you go, think about who else would enjoy our classes. Post this show on your social networking sites to help more people enjoy some weekly wit and wisdom. Aloha. Aloha.